Ahoy and welcome to the Mojo Podcast, part of Mike's Open Journal. Here we're going to be talking about mental health and that includes all things illness, wellness, stigma and support and most importantly some of your very own personal stories. We're going to be covering projects, campaigns, starting conversations and mentioning some of those tools that have supported your well-being. I want to say thanks for being part of the podcast, whether that's as a guest, as a listener, hopefully as a subscriber. I'm Mike, and while I'm being mindfully mindless, hopefully myself and my amazing guests will be able to show you that you're not alone out there. Thank you for being part of the Mojo Podcast. These are real people, they do have struggles. And it starts to get on my nerves, I just shut down. So many people suffer from mental illness. To get the word out that men have got to start talking. So I told everything and her face dropped. A lot of people don't understand the depth of the situation, so they can't appreciate, yeah. It's difficult dealing with our minds, and the suicidal thoughts were back. People knew that there was something not right, but they just never really said anything or probably felt like it wasn't their place to say anything. You're not depressed, it's, it's all in your head. That's probably the statement I've had people say the most. I mean, this, this, this shit is real and it's hard, it's exhausting. And I think people realise how helpful that one conversation can be just to figure out why you are feeling the way you are. Not only did this help me to write it, Mm. it potentially might have helped some other people as well. So it sort of started from there. So many people think they're alone. And then you hear other people talk about it and they think, oh, that's, you know, that's so brave or I could relate to that. Um, And then they want to talk about it. Hello and welcome to the Mojo Podcast and to episode 182. I hope you're having a great week out there. I hope things are going well for you. And thank you for continuing to, to listen and subscribe to the podcast. It's really been ace to see some of the engagement over the last uh, sort of four, six weeks or so as uh, some of you are listening in Yeah, the difficult situations that we find ourselves in at the moment. But this week I'm delighted to bring to you a conversation with another new guest. Claire is joining us from Sinta today and we're going to be talking through optimising independence, uh, informed decision making and kind of some general thoughts uh, and ideas around mental health, around well-being, around uh, assisted care as well. So it's really interesting to sit down and, and have a chat with Claire I would also say we didn't really get onto some of the stuff we were going to sit down and talk about. We just had a really good chat. Um, so please do check out Sinta. Have a look at the, the things that they're doing. They are celebrating their 40th year this year and are, as many charities are, looking to develop their fundraising at this time as well. So if you're interested or want to find out a bit more about Sinta, to support Claire and the team and the fundraising efforts that they've got please do go and check out their website have a look at their social media see what they are doing because there's some absolutely amazing work going in there to support people living with a variety of different needs and support in this episode we are once again going to kick ourselves off with a short uh safety uh health message 
Um, once again, this is the current message as of kind of the mid to late May. Um, so if you are listening to this episode at a later date, um, please do bear in mind that this information may have changed and will probably have changed um, by the time you're listening to this. But this is the information as of now. Uh, and then following that brief message, uh, I'm going to drop you guys straight in to my conversation with Claire. Uh, and again, thank you to, to Claire and to Sinta for sharing information about the things that they're doing and about um, particularly Claire for, for her experience and her insight about um, uh, previous experiences, her um, history around well-being and care as well. It was really interesting to, to have those conversations and get that insight. If you listening uh, would like to come on to the podcast in the future, Please remember you can go over to mikesopenjournal.com uh, and you can find out information about the podcast, previous guests and um, the information about possibly being a guest in the future as well. I think for me that's one of the huge strengths um, of the podcast is having those opportunities for us to share those conversations and discussions, providing different insights, different life experiences, different ways of thinking and processing uh, so having more people and a greater variety of people come on um is really really interesting so thank you to everyone that's been on already to the i think we're now 85 ish guests um over the last 180 plus episodes so it's been really really amazing and i'd love to see more of you coming on in the future so here are those short messages and then we will get started this is an important update from the government about coronavirus We all need to stay alert so we can control the virus and reduce the risk of infection. To stay alert, you must remain at home as much as possible. Work from home if you can. Limit your contact with other people. If you have to go out, keep your distance from others. Two meters apart where possible. Continue to wash your hands regularly. Do not leave home if you or anyone in your household has symptoms. Stay alert. Control the virus. Save lives. Life isn't always easy at the moment. We can feel frustrated, miss loved ones or get anxious. But there are simple things we can all do to look after our mental well-being at this time. Every Mind Matters will get you started with personalised tips and advice from the NHS. Whether it's dealing with stress, techniques to help you relax or simple tips for better sleep, We'll help you find what's right for you. Search Every Mind Matters today. It's really nice to, to finally sit down and, and have a chat. How how has your week been? Um, it's, it's not been a bad week, actually, Mike. It's been, uh, it's been an interesting week. It's a challenging week because uh, at Sinter, where we run residential homes and we provide community-based support, We've obviously got the ongoing challenges of making sure that all of the residents in our residential homes are safe. But this week, the added challenge has been with the ease on the lockdown. It means that those individuals in the community that we support are going to be starting to thinking about going out into the community. So whereas we've been supporting them remotely for the last couple of months and doing um, virtual support and uh, support through Zoom meetings and such, we're now having to completely put together protocols 
to make sure that we can support them in a way that's effective. So much of this week has been spent putting those protocols together. So those individuals are feeling supported at a time where they're going to come into the community because we're anticipating that this potentially could be the most anxious time of the uh, of this sort of whole pandemic so far. It's really difficult, isn't it? Because I think when we, we talk about this focus on mental health, and I think at the moment there seems to be a really positive focus on mental health, but it's being aware there are so many different reasons now why people are affected, those that have existing or previous symptoms and illnesses, those that are struggling now, but also just the impact of those that maybe wouldn't be diagnosed with an illness, but actually how they're affected by um, this almost kind of first time in our lifetime way of interacting of living of working it's such a huge change um it must be very difficult to kind of balance that with those different expectations as well of, of what the services are going to be yeah absolutely you hit the you hit the nail on the head you're kind trying to plan for something that you're not quite sure what you're planning for so you've got mm. to really really call on previous expertise you've got to draw on as much experience that you've got and to be completely honest with you Mike you've got to go with a little bit of just good gut feeling mm. and I think one of the approaches that we've really tried to adopt at Cinta is a real kind of like person-centered humanist approach so we've tried to be as empathetic as we can to say actually what is it like for these individuals let's not you know let's move away from diagnoses let's move away from this is a person that has a care plan to do this let's think mm. actually what is the reality of somebody that, I mean, we've been doing a whole campaign for the last 12 months, um, addressing issues around social isolation, encouraging people to come into non-threatening small groups. And then suddenly we're turning around to those very groups of individuals saying, anyway, about that, you know, we were really, really supporting you to say how healthy it is to come and join these groups. What we want you to do is to go right back to in many cases what you were doing before being completely isolated on your own and then having to go back to them again when they just over the last eight weeks got used to doing more virtual and remote support saying right now we need to look to support you you can't estimate you, you know it, it, it i think it would be incredibly arrogant of us to assume how people are going to respond to that like I say we can draw on the expertise that we that we have but the main guide is going to be from the individuals themselves some individuals we're already noting with the um, protocols that we're putting together uh, keen as mustard to start exploring face-to-face -face meetings starting to explore what does this meeting with two meters look like when they say about us wearing a mask, what does that look like? So we're exploring that with them. Others are saying, well, whoa, whoa, hold on a minute. And so with them, we're saying, well, do you know what? That's absolutely fine. And we've actually made a decision that for some individuals, because the um, uh, Zoom meetings or equivalent have worked so well, they're going to become a permanent part of their lives because some of them have just said, actually, I've gone straight back to that point now rather than us saying it would be really really churlish of us to turn around and say do you know what well bad luck because we're going back to running community groups now we expect you to come we're going to say do you know what that's absolutely fine and so mm. we were discussing this morning about we're putting together little art packs and cookery packs and things that we're going to be delivering to individuals houses to say well that's fine we can do you know we can do an art group but you can still take part to that remotely until such time as you feel ready 
to come out. So yeah, it has been, uh, it's been a challenge, but it's been really, really interesting. And, but the most important thing that we've got is that the, and I know that it's a trite thing to say, but it's so important that we're not doing it to them. You know, we're doing this with the individuals. And of course we're following public health England guidance, but we're not, you know, we're aware of the government guidance, but just because the government might be saying that we're easing lockdown, if we're not ready to ease lockdown, do you know what? We're going to work at, at, at the individuals we support pace. We're not going to force anybody to do anything. We'll obviously adhere and we'll stop people from doing things that are dangerous or uh, likely to be challenging for them. But we're no, no way are we going to turn around and say, do you know, what? If, the, if this is not the right time for you to start easing your lockdown, then that's fine. You know, we're not going anywhere. We can carry on doing this for another six months if that suits you. I think that's a really big thing. I think when um, I know my experience being that we've had these conversations about actually how people are really using and engaging with the the online technology and arguably technology that has existed for years and we've kind of just not used it, um, of not seeing it as a this isn't just for the next three or six months or however long. This is about adding a, a resource to our bank and going, yeah, some people, like you've said, will, will roll out of this and back into um, physical groups and settings. Um, but some might actually go, well, do you know what? Now you've stepped up your online provision and these other resources are available. Actually, this is better for me. I, I prefer this or I'm going to engage in this for a longer period of time. Um, I mean, I've found at work, you suddenly start to reflect on how long you spend traveling to certain meetings and how much money you spend on it and think well could have just that how how would that work is that going to be viable in the future are we going to still be able to engage in a um, a meeting is it going to be an option to say actually instead of spending two and a half hours traveling somewhere and however much money to get there could I just attend online and that be almost as good as being there am I going to be able to interact with people in the same way once some of us are in a physical setting and some of us aren't so it is interesting to see but um i mean we've kind of talked through a few of the things that are, are happening in the last few days but it'd be interesting to hear a little bit more about yourself claire and kind of how you've got to to where you are in your own kind of experience and, and why you're interested in mental health and well-being okay okay so um my doctorate is in uh, is it focuses on neurology and it focuses specifically on the links between emotional intelligence and cognitive intelligence and so I've always been interested and I was a sort of senior research fellow at university really exploring how that whole kind of development and learning within the brain the importance of well-being it's really as all of these things it's you know there's no need to sort of to say oh now the science because actually it's not that complicated Mm. it's but so I've always felt incredibly passionate about the fact that everybody has the right to optimize their own potential everybody has the capacity to optimize their own potential what we've got to do is to be get better at understanding how individuals brains are working how individuals are functioning and then we reposition ourselves to support them and by the very nature of that I rather and I feel you know it's an uncomfortable term but it's one that I actually 
use frequently about vulnerable individuals because unfortunately people have been placed to be vulnerable individuals and I think we need to kind of own that and say yeah. well they are vulnerable because they're being treated in a in a vulnerable way so I worked um, pr prior to um, being CEO of Sinta I ran a charity for homeless young people 16 to 18 year olds oh, okay. and uh, and also then with uh, in adults with learning disabilities and complex mental health needs that were at risk of homelessness mm. because they were coming out of prison, coming out of um, hospital, and to be frank, they, they didn't have anywhere to go and they were going to going to be homeless. And so, you know, the charity that I work with was again, it was just we're not just about providing them a home. What I wanted to do was in in part a philosophy to say, well, actually, let everybody optimize their own potential it's like at Sinta our strapline is enabling independence because everybody can be independent if the individuals that are working with you and society as a whole makes more of an effort to enable them to be independent even to the point of how are we defining what independence is I had a long conversation we've just started um, uh, taking on the management of a large residential home for adults with dementia Okay. And it was really interesting. And as a charity, again, our, our main charitable aim is about enabling independence. And of course, there were some of the trustees quite rightly said, hold on a minute, Claire, we're taking on this large residential home with people with dementia. How are we going to be enabling independence for mm. individuals that have a degenerative condition? And well, fortunately, the fact we're still doing it shows that I, you know, got managed to put across my point. And my point was that just because somebody has a degenerative condition, however that may present itself, mm. they still have the right to be independent in that. We shouldn't give up on them because they haven't given up on themselves. They've got a condition. It's, it is a lived condition. Their life might be shortened because it is degenerative, but it is still a life. And so for... For me, I feel just so passionate about that every last drop of that life, however long or short it must be, is we owe them that. And it was really good. So now we've sort of started to do some exciting things and starting to explore with regards to um, dementia and other conditionings, other conditions that might be life limiting to prove, well, actually, we need to enable independence here. And I think because if you come from the basic premise that there are actually lots of individuals that are on various forms of various spectrums that mm -hmm. may have life-limiting conditions. It might be because somebody's incredibly depressed. It might be because somebody's anxious and they may, you know, they may bring on their own yeah. life, you know, shortening incidents. You know, we, we still got to, you know, we've still got to support them. Whereas if we come from the premise of actually, how can we help you optimize your potential? How can we help you enable your independence? Mm. Um, so, so I've worked for, for sort of many, many years, many years doing that. I ran my own company for a while doing it and then came, you know, and, uh, then got into work as a charity. I mean, the reason I, I'll be completely honest with you, the reason I ended up running my own company is because when I was at the university, um, I'm not quite sure what your experience of what is, whether you've ever worked in the university and those, those sort of, yeah, I, I, a little bit of education. Yeah. 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 I thought, I thought you might have, um, it's one of those bizarre things that the, the more senior you get, the more, more removed you get from it. Yeah. And so the more detailed research that I was doing about impacts and I was doing a lot of research um, 
looking at the educator learner you know so I sort of started it's quite quite ironic now that I'm working with in some cases with older people with dementia I started off literally at the zero to four bit because that's where the brain is obviously you know Ooh. developing at the most yeah. rapid rate looking at how the impact of the educator or, or facilitator as I'd rather call it you know facilitator and learner mm -hmm. and how you can support that individual moving forward mm -hmm. so that was really really exciting but then the higher you get then you you end up just doing publications you end up spending six months of your life writing publications and the other six months of your life going around doing presentations and talking about those publications which is <laughs> but as you're doing that you actually don't spend any time oh. researching yeah. because you end up having a research team that's doing the research for you mm. and and i I, I felt slightly uncomfortable by that because again, it comes right back to the bit that I said earlier on about us having to really empathize. And I thought, unless I'm still going in and meeting with the individuals, meeting with the communities mm -hmm. and understanding for myself what it's like, how can I genuinely write a paper that's going to influence, you know, policy or influence practice, whether that's at a national level or whether it's at the smallest individual yeah. I mean it doesn't doesn't matter to me it's just it's making an impact but how can I do that based on second-hand research that my research team have fed to me mm. so um and and one of the things that I felt that I was very aware of linking with the education was that um vulnerable individuals weren't accessing education not because they didn't have the cap capacity to but mm. because nobody had presented it to them a way that fitted their way of working and this, I mean, this was years ago. I mean, we've moved forward an awful lot now. This was in uh, sort of late, late 90s, early, early 2000s. And we're saying that, you know, so people weren't getting degrees or weren't getting higher qualifications, not because they didn't have the intelligence. It's because actually it was quite an ivory tower and because of language. So what I proposed, and to be fair, the university I was working with was really, you know, really open and really supportive. So I said, yeah. well, look, I'm going to resign, but I want to work in coordination with you. I want to rewrite degree programmes to make them accessible and I want to run them from community settings just to do a piece of research proving that if we work with individuals but repackage higher education qualifications in an accessible way I firmly believe that more people will be able to access them and what my real impetus for this was it was at a time um, again showing my my age that before social workers had to have degrees and before early childhood practitioners had to have degrees but the government was just introducing that they had to have degrees and there was so there was a real tranche of individuals that were doing some sterling work that were likely to um, lose their jobs to be frank because they hadn't got the qualifications but they were really really doing some excellent stuff and the excellent stuff they were doing were with communities of individuals and this was a time i mean you're a lot younger than i am but when people used to talk about the um, you know oh and there's three generations of unemployment and so there'd be like whole communities mm -hmm. that had been written off and the social workers used to be, well, I came from you, but they didn't have any qualifications. So we, so the company that I did, we'd say, right, so we'd go to whatever, you know, we'd, we'd beg a schoolroom or a church hall or something um, and, uh, and say, well, look, anybody can come, anyone can come on. And I managed to get some funding and people actually came in and like I say, we repositioned and some of them went right the way through to actually get degrees. And the wonderful thing that, that happened, and then as anything, you know, you get and then, 
you kind of it's the whole not. same thing happens again it becomes really really successful and then I ended up talking about what <laughs> we were doing in the company publishing what I was doing about the company and you get and on it goes but then um one of the uh one of a group of three women who were the most I don't like to stereotype people, but if you think of people that are right in the heart of an urban community, the most mm. gritty, and I say that with absolute compliment, the most gritty of women that none of them had a qualification that came through, one of them came and said, you know, do you know what, would you be interested in us taking over? Because they were noticed that they knew me well enough and yeah. and I and I was being offered to do other bits and pieces and I was about to move house and do different things. And I thought, actually, how wonderful. And I said, well, I'm not going to sell the company to you. I said, this is a really nice opportunity for you to take it because you're actually in the perfect position now. I knew what I wanted to bring to it when I started, yeah. but now you've come through and you're absolutely... And they are, and they're brilliant. And they went on and did far more wonderful, appropriate community-based things than mm. I would have been able to because they were at the right, uh, they were right in the right position. And then it was after then that I uh, saw the um, advert for the uh, for, for the position of running this this homeless charity, and I thought, oh, actually, that's that's another good, you know, good area to go. Mm. So we've sort of gone, you know, mo moved on. But every but the common thread right the way through has been about that optimizing potential, enabling independence, and supporting individuals that need support. And I'll be honest with you, Mike, it's an incredibly privileged career to be involved with, because not many people can say that they've spent their whole lives actually just helping other helping. people, working yeah. with other people. Yeah. And I don't mean that, and that sounds really sort of sacred. I don't mean helping other people that I'm so brilliant, but I mean, it's just a nice no, thing no, that they, they do it. I know what you mean. It's really interesting, the kind of the, the language I guess that you're using around it because I worked in um in, in widening participation um when I worked initially at a university and I think for me sometimes it's like those first messages that you hear that really resonate um and for me that idea of kind of widening participation at university when I was there which would have been I think it was late uh we're talking sort of late 2000s early 2010s and um, it was very much about uh, making sure that people were making informed decisions. So um, even though I was working at a university and some people will argue widening participation was an indirect recruitment tool, I was always about if you don't want to go to uni, that's completely fine. And that's great because you've made that decision. It's about making sure that people are aware they have access to to these opportunities and they decide whether or not they want to take it up, not just where they're going to go. Um, and it's really interesting that as I've moved across different sectors and different opportunities that that's really kind of stayed with me. It's about making sure people are aware of different resources or support or services and accepting whether you think it's best for someone or not they will decide whether or not they engage with them mm -hmm. um and that really comes across from kind of what you're talking about of just making sure people have that opportunity to mm -hmm. to do the best that they can and that they want to do um and we will sometimes have our own insights and they might be wiser they might be less wise um but it's about providing that opportunity for people to to make those decisions and i think particularly at the moment when we see um so much focus on on mental health and on well-being and that's great but it sometimes feels a little bit like it's it's kind of open-ended 
and it's not like well here are the actual resources because i know and i'm sure you all know as well there are so many resources and so many different services available to people and yet often it comes down to they're just not aware of how to access them or that they even exist yeah i i couldn't i couldn't agree more and it's because it's really having a lot of choices actually really intimidating thing i mean we know ourselves i mean if you go to a restaurant yeah. and there's a huge menu and there's loads of things on there i mean it's yeah. well because you just don't know you don't know what to select and, no. and then so you end up just reverting to the thing that you know and that's what you stick with and yet we criticize you know individuals for saying oh but they never come along to this group they never come along to that they just mm. do what they do all the time and you think well actually don't we all do that yeah yeah every time i go to a car park <laughs> yeah yeah you do you just you know we are creatures of habit and i just think it's uh, again going back to sort of thinking about how being more inclusive as a society i think it's an incredibly middle class thing that you know it's all right for us to say no we'll stick to what we know because actually what we're doing is actually rather good mm. and actually really good whereas it's not all right for you to stick with what you, because we don't yeah. think those are wise choices and they might not be wise choices but just criticizing people and, mm. and i just hey and you will know if you've been involved in widening participation again the whole um rhetoric around uh you know uh hard to reach which makes me yeah. shudder and yeah. you know people, oh and, and lack of engagement and you think yeah. well actually I don't, they are hard, I, don't think I don't think they're hard to reach you know it's because actually we're not let you know get over ourselves we've got yeah. to make ourselves a little bit better for people to want to engage with what we're doing why is it their fault that they don't want to engage with us? And that's what we do a lot at Sinta, rather than saying, oh, well, no, the individuals we support don't want to engage with us. And there's this horrible sense of that's their fault. Well, we've tried, you know, and, and I mean, it's, you know, I have my thoughts, as I'm sure you do as well. I mean, some I know with, you know, in other, other sectors when there's a pressure of, well, actually, we come and knock on your door three times. If you don't engage, then you're yeah. off you get this appointment if you don't turn up and I just think we all need to get a little bit better of thinking what could we be doing more and inadvertently again going back to what we spoke about earlier this scenario of being able to support people more remotely has offered some great opportunities you know when we were you know speaking earlier about you know will meetings you know will they change yeah. will they... and you know the first thing I was thinking of actually how much more inclusive would it be for individuals who do have issues, whether they're physical issues, whether they're mental health issues, whether they're just financial, logistical issues, anxiety issues, but to, to, to how more inclusive would it be to say, actually, you can join us because then it would be a genuine, you know, because I think, yeah, lived experience, of course, that's brilliant. Having, you know, uh, user-led groups and things but mm. so often um and i don't want to criticize any work that's going on because there's an awful lot of enormously good work going on but i've been around long enough to know that you so often see the same users turning up to those user-led groups yeah. and they almost get wheeled out to these groups and you think well they're the which is wonderful and really really great for them but there might be other individuals that just don't want to take three buses to yeah. a town hall to attend a meeting and no matter how fun and non-threatening you think it is you don't know the reality of what they've got to do to get out of their house 
and to something because you because you go there every day so you can say oh this is really non-threatening oh look we've got lovely pictures on the wall and it's yeah. you know uses but but you don't know that unless you've done some real support work to get them there and that takes time and a starting point is saying well do you know what we'll meet you where you are then and then we can gradually have that conversation and it might be do you know what you don't you don't need to what we want is your voice we don't need your physical presence yeah yeah and I think I I've found it's that side of going oh it's really difficult to we couldn't get the equivalent of um, we can't interact with everyone over uh, a webcam if we're hosting an event. Okay, yeah, that's great. So don't try and do that. At the, how hard would it be? Most of us have got a smartphone that could stream in some way. At the very least, they could view the event live. Mm. Um, okay, it might be more difficult to work out how they can feed in and interact with people. But they could attend. Like, actually attending would be really simple, I think, in most instances. And, um, I, yeah, that idea of hard to reach as well I, I de- yeah I agree with that I've often not always but sometimes in my mind when I hear hard to reach I just hear not easy to reach <laughs> and, yeah. and so that doesn't it's mean it's hard it just means it's not what you're doing at the moment like it, yeah it's just it is slightly mystifying sometimes and um and yeah I, I think there is also this mindset that um for example if i approach you and you don't want to interact with me that doesn't mean you don't want to use the service that i represent it might just be that i'm not the right person for you to interact with and sometimes i think there is a little bit of missing some of the things that people might struggle with um, and recognizing you know what you might not be the right person this might not be the right time and that doesn't necessarily need to be a bad thing it's just realizing people have preferences or previous life experience i mean they might resonate more with someone of a particular background or gender or age and if you constantly offer the same person is it that much of a surprise when you get the same reaction sometimes Mm. because all you've done is bury the thing in the background you haven't actually changed what they're interacting with um and i i hope some of that is what is being learned at the moment by different places because because we are so busy people are interacting with different people in different ways and suddenly we might become more aware oh that person that hasn't interacted with us in the past is now suddenly interacting why is that mm-hmm. well it's because you're doing something different or someone different is mm-hmm. is doing that because the other person is shielding or not available um and like you say realizing that actually it's it's a challenge for all of us to review. It's not just those people that we're trying to reach and going, yeah, they're not interacting with us. Um, and we yeah, are, not, yeah, we're not the only, we're not the only people just because they don't want to talk to me. doesn't mean they won't want to talk to another charity or campaigner or someone else that has resources that may be more suitable to them. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's one of the things that charities are really, you know, improving on that they're not competing with each other. They're really supportive of each other because Mm -hmm. it isn't a one size fits all. There might be somebody down the road that suits, you know, that suits everything a little bit, a little bit better. And it's the same, you know, again, there's just such an enormous arrogance of the fact that, you know, like we could go and say, okay, but I've chosen that gym over that gym or that pub over that pub or that church over that church. And we're allowed to do that. Mm -hmm. But people are seen as a bit spiky if they go, no, I don't want to use you. 
I'm not coming to you. I want to I want to go over there. It seems, well, I'm sorry, you've been you've been off with that one. You ought to you ought to go. And you just think, well, hold on a minute. Why can't they why can't people choose that? And I also think that what we need to do is take a breath and rewind a little bit. Because I think we we leap straight to what we want the outcome to be. Mm-hmm. And so the outcome is we want you to come to our group. And the reason we want you to come to our group is because we know that it will be better for you to come to our group because it'll help with your social isolation. It'll help minimise your anxiety. It'll help all these wonderful things. So we know that. And it's all about what we know. Mm. And we're so focused on that. We're not doing the bit that you just described about actually let's go right back to the beginning. And I just don't think we take enough time thinking, well, why are people in the position that they are because there's a reason for it and again it goes back to my sort of neurological background there is a reason why people present as they do mm. and I have lots of conversations with individuals when you know they're grumbling oh but so and so was really challenging today or you know all their behavior was really this and I'm going you do realize why they are accessing services like this don't you yeah. you know the, yeah yeah that that's a given our job is to get right peel right the way back and say but why are you behaving because unless we understand something of mm. that and again we can't assume that we'll ever know all of it but unless we understand something of that we won't be able to provide them with the most appropriate facilitation to get to the to get to that point to go to groups because as you say you do we don't know what goes on at past experience whenever again this term of lived experiences generally when we're talking about lived experiences we're talking of your experiences of attending these kind of groups we're not talking about your experiences when you were under 16 and having all of this stuff going on in your life Mm. we've Rarely remember to do that we're talking about oh well Mike's been to this group and that so he has great lived experiences so we'll wheel him out and we'll bring him along whereas we're not thinking well actually we're also aware of this what's this is what went on in Mike's life beforehand so that might be a completely insensitive thing mm. to what Mike to do or that's a really unrealistic thing to do and we just I just think we just need to take a breath get over ourselves a little bit and take a little bit more time to think you know and I always say to our team but so what so yeah. what you know when they're coming and they and at Cinta we've got an absolutely phenomenal team they're really really great and they're full of ideas and of which I of which I love and we like to work at a great pace and but at every time when it comes it is hold on but so what why why are we doing that what is the point of that because it's not about us having another feather in our cap us opening another service so we can say that we're now twice as big as we were three years ago or anything like that so what and I always say to them if you can genuinely say that this is enabling that person's independence even if it's in a really small way then we'll Mm. go but if it's more about us extending our profile us like I say just sort of doubling our turnover or something is that is yeah. that the right reason for us to be doing it yeah yeah I think so and I think it's as you, you talked about that kind of the going back to why are we doing it um and I think that's interesting because sometimes we don't know as well and there's that element of self-discovery and it's making sure that yeah. people that are doing those even if it's those kind of um day-to-day tasks they understand how that fits into the structure of what's happening and, and the, the almost the teamwork that is potentially happening in some of those situations. I think that's such a huge thing. And 
sometimes it's again when we talk about going back to the beginning understanding what we want to do and i think one of the things that's often missed out and i hear this quite a lot when i've spoken before about um cbt so the cognitive behavioral therapy that um i the the feedback that i've heard from um both service users and those that are related to service users is always very very mixed um very positive or very negative um and for the most part the people that um i've talked to that have negative feedback it's often because they've completely misunderstood what cbt is trying to do and what that um facilitator has been trying to do with them and they do have that mindset that it's going to go back and look at what happened when you were a child and what was the traumatic event that led to your current symptoms mm. um and it's just or in my head that that is completely not what it's about it's about where are you today how can we make tomorrow a better day mm. um and i think it's really interesting that we talk about this beginning because sometimes we are forgetting that this today is the beginning of someone's journey it's their first time hearing you talk about this service um it might be the 10th time you've done it just today but it's the first time they're here they don't know what that word means or that phrase or the fact that they're in this course um doesn't mean that a gp or some other professional has explained it to them for 20 minutes they might just have been given a leaflet and said go to this um so there is i think that mindset sometimes of and when people struggle so much to get into services and i think it's just a shame that they've gone in and the potentially one of the reasons why they've not had such a great experience is because right at the beginning it wasn't really explained to them um and yes when they come out they might need to go back and revisit something else that's happened mm -hmm. in the past but to really experience and benefit from that interaction whether it's a workshop a one-to-one -one session or anything they need to understand why they're there and what that session and that facilitator is supporting them to do um and that is like you say it's us predominantly remembering why we're there not just going oh i know all this and so i will tell you or you already know this it's exploring it with each person and making sure they understand it in the way that you think they do Absolutely, 100%. I mean, a piece of work I mean, that I wrote like years and years ago was about the links between what I so you've got sort of sensitivity, stimulation, then autonomy. And mm. in fact, if you go in for, and that was when I was like really with regard to from a neurological perspective and linking with well being to um, cognizance, but it, 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 it's transferable. Mm. So you go in to begin with, and your starting point is actually you're just show sensitivity, you're just nice, you just. Yeah position yourself in a way that like so you do you don't go in and I wasn't implying before that you're going in and you're asking you know you're not sort of on the sort of you know on the sort of what's it psychiatrist couch or anything <laughs> it is just you're just a nice person and you spend more time listening mm. than you do but not to like I say not in a um sort of from a psychologist way and I don't mean that in a disrespectful way to psychologists but it's just you're listening because you're just interested yeah you're just genuinely interested and sometimes it's just listening to the silences mm -hmm. and you're creating a sensitive environment to which people think actually I feel I feel comfortable with this person I feel comfortable in this environment and then only then can you start to introduce the stimulation and by that it's then you start to sort of say well, actually, there might be this group. Do you know what? You mm. might be interested in this group. Or I was speaking to somebody else and 
they're also interested in this. Do you, would it be interested if I kind of hooked you up, if I gave you, you know, their their contact details, or do, and then you can start to stimulate. And I think actually I trust this person. Yeah. And so you go into stimulation, and then when you've got the combination of the sensitivity and the stimulation, then. And this is the bit that we are really awful about because then we, when people start to get engaged, we think brilliant, then we can go in and we can do the final thing and we can tick that we've got a great outcome. That's actually the time you get the hell out of there and you give the individual the autonomy mm. to internalize what's going on. And only when they've internalized what's going on, will they be able to then externalize that and I mean it's really like this is kind of Vygotsky and kind of thought and language that you know you have to really understand something before you can articulate it and it only only at that point can individuals start saying actually I really enjoy this group because of this or I'd rather go to that group or could you come and help me with this but you have to go through all that process to enable them to internalize before they can externalize that we can't go to the straight at the point of autonomy and them externalizing that because it just from a neurological perspective it just won't happen none of, none of us yeah. do it no and we have an unrealistic expectation if somebody now while we were doing this if both of us got a knock on the door now and someone turned around and said right mike claire come down there's tonight at eight o'clock there's the best night of your life at the local thing i would put money on the fact we both turn around and go thanks but we're actually busy <laughs> yeah. you know we've got, we've got stuff on We'd immediately shut down because you've invaded my space. You know, hold on, you're telling me that this is the best night of my life. How, how do you know what's the best night of my yeah. life? It might end up that that could have been the best night of our yeah. lives. But I would point on the fact that we would both shut that down immediately because we'd see that as an invasion. Because mm. people have knocked on our door and they've gone in and they've taken the liberty of telling us what we should be doing at eight o'clock yeah. tonight. But that's exactly what we do. Yeah. All, all of the time we don't take the time whereas if you're in a sensitive environment assimilating someone says oh have you heard about this group that's at eight o'clock on tuesday nights you know what i'd be really good and it's somebody that oh do you go to that actually do you know what i trust you yeah. that sounds well and i trust you because if you say it's good then chances are it might be then we might go to that group and again it's that arrogance that we're treating other people in a way that not only do we not want to be treated ourselves but we've refused to be treated ourselves. And yet we think that that's okay. And when we are talking about people that have other complex issues going on in their lives, it makes the whole scenario even more banal from my perspective. Yeah, because you don't, you don't know the way that that person's going to interpret that, do you? I think it's really interesting. I've had, uh, a, when you talk, when I've spoken to um people that kind of would describe themselves probably as campaigners and, and people that will encourage the conversation around um well-being and they'll sort of say well i i've got this knowledge and this experience and i've got this friend or whoever and i just i know they would benefit from going and using and i i think again and it's my experience that often that's when the conversation and the interaction is shifted it's it's no longer about them it's about you it's because you want them or you feel you need them to go to a service or to take an action um and it's remembering that if that's really what you want you you want them to go and do that okay do that but that if most of us want to support someone and want what's best for them mm -hmm. and it's understanding that well to do that you need to allow them to self-discover 
So like you say, actually, um, if someone knocks on the door and tells you this is going to be the best thing, like you say, most of us are going to say no to that because we're being told it. If they gave you a flyer and in that flyer told you a lot of different options and one of them looked like it might be interesting, I might then choose to go and interact with that. And then while I'm there, it will be better because I'm here because I've chosen to come, not because Dave has told me to come or I've been dragged here by someone. Um, and I've seen, I think there's there's a, a, a National Mind um, video that runs through. There's a few technical bits in there that could be skipped over, but it's a really nice walkthrough of how and why we can't and we shouldn't force people to do certain things and just how that's not going to be a positive experience but um like you said earlier i think it's remembering we're not all in the same situation we don't all have the same experience um something that i find easy isn't going to be easy for someone else and a lot of that comes down to the conversation and the language and um how often those of us that are involved in this field will, will have those conversations we built up that experience i can we can talk about um our feelings our emotions and, and what's happened um but if that's a, a new experience to you if you are struggling with symptoms or new illness or something you've never spoken about before how would you be able to to open that up and like you say to to tell someone about what's going on when you don't really understand it you've not verbalized it before and I always think of um, kind of like when you go to the when you go to the the doctor or the GP, I think when you go and talk about a physical symptom or struggle, you've most of us will have had the experience of having a parent or a carer that has asked us, how do you feel? Where does it hurt? How does it hurt? Um, and we'll have got used to the language and how to describe that and kind of picture it. Um but for our mental health and for our well-being in, in the, the mind, rarely are those conversations, definitely more so in the recent years, but rarely in the past has that really been a conversation we've had. So then when someone comes to speak to a, a GP or a specialist or a practitioner, why do we have this expectation that they're going to be able to articulate that in anything other than I don't know? Um, <laughs> I just, and still in my mind, I think, oh, how can you not? no one's ever asked you before no one's really given you the chance to talk about it why would you be able to it's a ridiculous expectation for us to have of people to to be able to do that yeah absolutely and I think the thing then that we need to be really mindful of and when we are talking to uh commissioners funders and such to build in the fact that we can't this can't be time framed it's I mean one of my big frustrations is particularly with funding grants mm. um, I'm not saying that just because I'm a charity and we're always struggling yeah, with funding yeah, yeah, no. we, are, we do get an awful lot of you know people coming behind us but one of the questions is how many people will this impact and what's the time frame mm. and and increasingly in commissioning we're seeing that as well right well when are you going to move them on how many people are you going to be get through and and fortunately you know because I'm as you've gathered from this conversation I'm yeah. sort of you know not going to stand for any of that and there's slowly but you've got to be really confident that I've turned around and I go well do you know what probably six people and they're going you do realize we've had grants of people are sort of helping 500 people and, and I'm going yeah but what we're trying to do is make yeah. a internalized difference that will stay with that mm -hmm. individual and 
yeah. it's not and again we're not it's the individual that is making life-changing decisions for themselves because it's their life it's not us to make them but mm. we're saying you know so actually yeah probably two years and we might work with six people but what's better than working with two years with six people that will go on whose lives will be dramatically changed and whatever that may be mm. as a result of that rather than working with 500 people for six months that you've had sh shot in the arm activities in and out in and out in and out in and out and actually then you know six months hence they're all reverted back because it was a wonderful little roller coaster ride and then it gets spat out the other end because oh i'm really really sorry it's time out um we've run out of funding yeah. now because i'm mm, sorry it was only six months funding so we've got to stop this now and and you get spat out the other end so we've got to work with commissioners and funders to get them to realize that if you, we're working with individuals so without overselling the case this is a life change that we're wanting yeah. to make to people yeah and it will take time and it will probably only be with a very very small number of people but isn't that wonderful isn't that the mm. very best use of money that you can think of and I don't think we're there yet there's they're beginning to be a bit more of an openness to it but yeah. I don't think we're there yet and I think we've got to continue with that dialogue to say that you know people are generally saying you know every life matters and you know the importance of individuals saying yeah, well, let's let's put that into practice then, shall yeah. we? Let's yeah. be really pleased of this one person. Let's not say that and then say, oh, and 20,000 people have gone through this programme. Let's say, and do you know what? This individual went through this and that was enough for us. We were really, really happy to fund that or we were really, really happy to commission that project. I think it always makes me smile when you... We, messages like the Every Mind Matters and, and similar sort of slogans are often followed up very quickly by like you say however many hundred thousand of people have inter oh millions of okay right okay that that's great but let's be clear about how just they've been exposed to your messaging good has anything changed that's and that's where the evidence comes in for for those people that you're having much more interaction with um, I'm aware we're kind of rolling up to our. We are, we are. Time, I have time. a suspicion that we could chat and chat and yeah, chat. Yeah, I think we could yeah. probably go for another hour. Yeah. Um, so if if someone's been really interested by some of the stuff that we've kind of spoken through, and you've spoken about a few different kind of uh, projects and charities there. Yeah. Um, it'd be interesting if you've got kind of signposting to to some of those that you can mention that we can uh, share in regards to if it's websites or different places that people can go to find out about useful informational resources absolutely well i think the sort of the the starting point is i mean if people are happy i mean i'm very happy for people to contact cinta and then we can you know then we can support people like rather than have a plethora of uh, things so our website is really easy it's cinta c-i-n-t-r-e dot org and the easy way to remember and i will tell you what cinta means is that uh, do you, sorry arrogance do you know what a cinta is i don't know i was no, like well, i've, I've, heard, so, I've so, heard it before and i was like does it stand for something or is it a thing <laughs> you're saying that you do that i see i just go into type that i just assume one, one of these days i will be met with an architect and goes yes yes i do know what a cinta is actually <laughs> well well, a center is if you imagine a um, when you're creating a arc, so say a bridge. If you're building a bridge, mm -hmm. 
the the piece that is there to to hold it to hold it steady oh okay and a lot of people turn around and say oh but isn't that the keystone isn't it the keystone that holds it in mm-hmm. well the keystone is part of that structure but the difference with the center is as soon as you get the arc or the bridge or ever like free standing formation to stand on its own the center is removed oh okay so it's the center is the architecture it's been too long we're talking yeah. too much my teeth are coming the building out. drawer person <laughs> yeah that's, it. That, that, that's the one um that uh, once they're you know that they use to make sure that it's in place and then it's removed at such point mm-hmm. so it can stand on its own and that's really important because that's exactly what we do at center we only stay as long as we are needed Mm. And we have this continuum of care and support. It might be that as long as we're needed, it might be somebody that we support through 24 hours a day, yeah. residential care, right the way through supported living, right through community-based support, right to that person hooking into one of our activities once a week as and when they want in between other stuff. Yeah, yeah. It might be that somebody dibs in and lives with us and then moves out or just starts at the point of coming to the groups. But that's the centre. We're only there as long as we as long as we are needed to support that person, thus the enabling independence. So centre.org, if you have a look on our website, and then uh, inquiries at cinta.org. So people can contact either of those and then we'll be able to put you in uh, in touch with, uh, d- depending on the nature, because there's so many individuals, there's no point, you, otherwise you'll have one of those sort oh, of rock yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and end of film title things. And nice clear signpost. Is, is, but is, if somebody comes, then um, we, we can, you know, I absolutely support, but I can't guarantee that I will know, but I can guarantee that I will know somebody right. that will be able to then know somebody that will know somebody and on we'll go and we'll support them. And any of those, like I say, have a look at our website, but if anybody's got uh, inquiries at, it's a confidential site that, that that comes through. It's not like a huge catch-all. It's, um, you know, so people can do that, you know, any information that comes through there is treated as as confidential mm. and obviously we respect sort of GDPR so we wouldn't be giving anybody's um, details out to anyone we would be responding to whatever whatever well, query question or chat somebody wanted to get involved in cool awesome thank you so much Claire for coming on and for providing not just a, a brief insight but we've had a really good talk about a few different topics <laughs> in so yeah. yeah it's been really nice so thank you so much for coming on and, and sharing your experience and your knowledge pleasure. Any time, Mike, you know where I am. Any time. Thank you. Take care. Go safely. You too. Goodbye. Bye-bye. These are real people. They do have struggles. And it starts to get on my nerves. I just shut down. So many people suffer from mental illness. To get the word out that men have got to start talking. So I told everything and her face dropped. A lot of people don't understand the depth of the situation, so they can't appreciate, yeah. It's difficult dealing with our minds, and the suicidal thoughts were back. People knew that there was something not right, but they just never really said anything or probably felt like it wasn't their place to say anything. You're not depressed, it's, it's all in your head. That's probably the statement I've had people say the most. I mean, this, this, this shit is real and it's hard, it's exhausting. And I think people realise how helpful that one conversation can be just to figure out why you are feeling the way you are. 
not only did this help me to write it, mm. it potentially might have helped some other people as well. So it sort of started from there. So many people think they're alone. And then you hear other people talk about it and they think, oh, that's, you know, that's so brave or I could relate to that. Um, and then they want to talk about it. 